you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Itai Sedan. Welcome, Itai. Thank you, Mads. Uh, perfect and uh, excited to be here on uh, this podcast with you. I am super excited to talk to you as well. You have, you're managing a lot of people and you have lots of great knowledge to share, I'm sure. So just before we get into it, Itai, there's people around the world who don't yet know who you are, believe it or not. Would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction about your background and how you ended up where you are? Yeah, let's definitely fix that and make sure they uh, are all familiar with uh, what we do. And my name is Itai Sedan. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Duda. Duda is uh, a leading white label website builder for digital marketing agencies and SaaS platforms. And what we do is uh, we've uh, built a really great uh, platform, a site builder, and many, many people uh, starting from small businesses to web professionals, web designers, freelancers uh, are using it on a day-to-day to build, uh, to build websites, digital presence. We have over uh, a million paying websites on the platform today that were built by over 17,000 customers worldwide. Uh, the company is uh, now 11 years old. Uh, we have 200 employees now around seven offices and growing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm sure there's a lot that can be learned from all your experience. So I'm excited to dive into it. But just before we sort of get into too much of the management stuff, like you, you're obviously in the web space and I'm, I'm fairly familiar with that myself. So what, what's it been like being in the sort of the digital marketing space here during the sort of COVID and coming out of it now hopefully yeah yeah cross our fingers we are um it's been really interesting times uh obviously uh covid uh, has brought a lot of hardship to many small businesses uh especially in 2020 uh and we've seen uh as as consumers have you know been in quarantine and all that there's been this shift from uh, face-to-face physical meetings, uh, going shopping to online purchases and online transactions, online engagement. And uh, we as a company have actually uh, you know, benefited from that as we are providing solutions for this kind of new world and the, the way that people now prefer to interact. Uh, we've seen, especially last year around Q2 and Q3, a huge spike in demand uh, for websites, uh, a lot of small businesses, local businesses that were did not really have a web presence understood that this was the only way to survive. And even those that did have web presence uh, wanted to improve, modernize, uh, kind of re- reconstruct or redesign their website, make sure that it's more transactional, more engaging, uh, you know, adding the ability to purchase on their websites, if it's goods or services, or just be able to better capture leads and engage their online traffic. So uh, definitely there was a, a big spike there. 
we are still seeing a very good demand. I think it's, it's not at the same levels that it was in uh, when Corona hit in Q2, Q3, 2020. But um, yeah, still, uh, you know, it's still the, still the way to go. And I think also a lot of, you know, business owners who, uh, you know, people who are entrepreneurial and, you know, open businesses are more and more new businesses that are opening are, of course, opening kind of online first as, as this is the way to go. It, it's obviously a much, much cheaper way to open a business, right? I mean, you, you no longer need to start a business by renting a big office space and paying thousands and thousands of dollars every month and so on, uh, with many business types at least, right? So uh, I, I would say for many businesses, one of the things I've noticed, and that's probably been the last 10 to 15 years, is that just uh, the barrier to entry to building a business is significantly less, which means there's obviously a lot more people doing it, still a lot of people failing, but reality is people can start a business now with, with a lot, lot less resources than it used to take, right? Yes, for sure. And uh, I think you, you can start small, uh, what we usually like to call in the, in the software space, we call it MVP, okay? kind of the most viable product. You do something very small, test it out, uh, and then you, know, you see if it has any traction. You see if there's customer demand uh, before you start to scale it and invest more, more money. So I think uh, both in the online and in the physical world, uh, these, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a prudent way to start a business before yeah. kind of jumping in 100%. Definitely, definitely. So when you're starting and you're getting a business off the ground, the most difficult thing in pretty much every business, I guess, is getting from zero to a million. I mean, I, I think obviously there's also big challenges when you get above a million, but I think for most people making the first million or getting to a point where you're making a million a year at least is, is the most challenging thing. So what, what sort of great advice and what sort of experience do you have to share with the audience around that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think kind of getting to the first million is, is the most difficult and the most uh, stressful. I feel afterwards it's, uh, you know, getting to the first, you know, 10 million or 50 million, uh, which we're on that path uh, and, and hundred million is it present, it presents different problems, problems of scale, problem of managing employees. Uh, but the first million is, you know, that's, that's where the sleepless nights come in where, you don't know if you're going to be able to make payroll in the next month uh, and, and things like that, that are, you know, much more, much more stressful than some of, in my opinion, than some of the challenges the, later down the road. Um, you know, my opinion in, in, in that uh, first phase is, uh, you know, a couple of things get, uh, make sure you have a good, you know, good partner. If, if you're not starting alone, if uh, having a, a, a good partner, uh, this is someone you know, that uh, will be with you uh, for a very long time. Yep. My partner and co-founder is uh, someone I know since high school. Uh, and um, you know, by the way, I'm already uh, 45 years old. So it's, we have this very long relationship. Uh, we were even uh, uh, college roommates. Uh, so a lot of the stress and, 
you know, the, the challenges that uh, we had in the last uh, 10 or 11 years were shared uh, and someone to consult with. And I think that's, I think choosing that partner or, or co-founder is, is very, very important. Um, I would I would totally agree with that. And I would say, I mean, I've definitely had my fair share of not so good partnerships in business. And I've also had some extremely good ones. And I, I totally agree with your point. I think what, what I tend to say now is partnership is at the level of marriage uh, in terms of importance, right? Um, I think many people kind of meet someone online and like five minutes later, they're like, hey, let's start a business. And, yeah. you know, you don't know them. And again, I'm not saying it couldn't technically go well, but I'm just saying the likelihood is very slim. The same yeah. if you uh, if you start online dating with someone halfway around the world and talk to them for five minutes and then plan to get married. Um, it, it Again, there's probably a small, tiny percent chance it will go well, but most likely not, right? And that's exactly how I look at business partnerships because for me, it's, it's one of those things that it can, like even with a great idea, it can totally break it, right? And I, I mean, I consult with a lot of managers, right? And I see so many people where, you know, a business, a bad business partnership literally just forces the business to the ground, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, and I think the analogy of uh, a marriage is, is precisely it. You know, you're, you're going to spend many, many years and with, with this uh, individual, or sometimes it's more than one person. And uh, if it goes sour, you know, the, it's, it's a lot of stress to deal with and a lot of challenges. And these are the things that can actually break you. Definitely. Um, I've definitely, you know, consulted other companies and I've seen it when partnerships go, go bad and it's, it's very unfortunate. So take your time and be wise on, on the choices that uh, you make there. Don't, don't hurry to, to bring someone that you've not like fully vetted and not had the experience. Cause kind of when things, a lot of these partnerships uh, are, are measured when things don't go well when there are challenges and then, and then you kind of learn how each person in the partnership uh, reacts to that. Yeah. And, and actually, again, just like marriage, I think one of the biggest failures people make, even in relatively good with, with people they know quite well is expectations, right? So the one thing most people don't do is they don't sit down and have a bunch of very solid conversations around the expectation right like what do you want out of this business you know what's your long-term vision what's your are you looking to make a little bit of money the next year or two are you looking to do this for the rest of your life or look you know what's your vision what's your goals you know what what kind of money do you need right now i mean i i sometimes see business partnerships start out start making a little bit of money and one of the people's like oh you know i'm broke i need we need to take out all the money we possibly can and the other person being like well i i want to reinvest it all and so on so so like having a solid solid conversation about those things up front is so critically important and i see i see a lot of people hiding it or they'll be like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that in case the other person feels the other way. And I'm like, you definitely want to talk about that up front. You yes. don't want to find out that, you know, a year down the road or whatever, right? Absolutely. So many things to talk about. Make sure very clear uh, definitions of responsibilities. What is each person going to be in charge with, right? So uh, hopefully, you know, a little bit of overlap is good, but if like you're sitting 
in the same square, that's that's not going to work well. Um, yes, critically yeah. important. And, and particularly, I mean, I, I operate a lot in the SEO space. And what I see all the time is people being like, yeah, yeah, we just both do a little bit of SEO. And I'm like, yeah, no. That's not gonna fly, right? I, you know, I'm in charge of the business side. He's in charge of the everything related to the technical side, product side, all the engineers, and uh, you know, there's a hundred percent trust that the other side is doing their, you know, doing their best, is doing a good job. We consult each other, but you know, we each have very, very clear roles and responsibilities. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to to go around it for sure. Yeah, what else is uh what else is important? You know, I touched about it a, a little bit. If it's possible, you know, both you and I talked about it to start a little bit smaller, test the concept out before going full head into it. In terms of you know a lot of like uh, expenses, and then it would be great, especially in the online world, right? This is what it allows you. I remember our first days at uh, Duda, um, you know, me and my co-founder, we, you know, knocked on doors of small businesses and asked them if they needed websites uh, and, you know, heard, heard the responses, put a little bit of money on Google AdWords uh, with a landing page just to see is, is there demand out there on the web, right? The, uh, initially, we used our own product to build websites almost as an agency or, uh, you know, kind of to, to eat our own dog food, right? Before you ship a product out and to make it, to make it better. Uh, eventually, uh, we, we only made the product, you know, we put the product on the web and let people build websites themselves. But that probably took another, you know, year, year and a half after really starting. So the more you can... You know, uh, you know, limit your uh, you know your expenses and try try out your concept out there, see if there's real demand, and you know what what they call it in the kind of the software world the uh, product market fit, right? That's a, a very important uh, um, group of words that we use to make sure that the product or the feature or the service that you're offering is actually something that customers want, that a customer is willing to pay, you know, take out their wallet and pay for it. And yeah. hopefully there's enough customers out there in, in the world that share a very similar pain point that you're solving. Definitely. My, my, one of my favorite things around this is um, pe people are so hooked and saying like, oh, there's no businesses out there doing this, so we will be successful. And the way I tend to look at it is exactly the other way around. If there's no business out there, it's either because people are not looking for it or, you know, you have to educate people on what it is, how it works and all this good stuff, right? Whereas if there is existing businesses doing it, you just have to find a different angle. So either, you know, better pricing, better service, better something. But very often people that aren't into business, they, they often look for concepts that don't exist instead of business, business concepts that do exist and look at how to improve them, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's probably one of the biggest, let's call the mini hack, but it's probably one of the easiest thing. If you want to start off your first business, in 99% of the case, you're going to be much, much better off starting a business 
that is similar to an existing company, right? Or an existing su successful business, because yeah. that helps you validate that there's actually people buying this product, right? And it makes it like, for example, today, if you want to start a, a website agency, I mean, it's obvious there's people buying websites, right? So yes. it's then about figuring out like, how can you differentiate yourself? But that's a lot easier to figure out how you can do that than figuring out if there's an actual demand in the first place. Yeah, right? yeah, I, I agree with you. Probably 99% of the businesses are going to be operating in an existing existing market and where there's already competitors and, and it's really a matter of differentiation. I think the, the kind of 1%, which is probably very risky. And if you manage to crack that, it's, uh, there's huge upside is, is really to form um, a new kind of a new, it's a new product into, into the market that uh, there's no competitors. There's few examples of that that have been successful. I think a lot of people hope that they're there, but they're actually not there. They're more. But these are examples of like, you know, when, when Twitter came out, who, who knew that a service of uh, where you can type, uh, I don't know, 14 or 16 characters is something that people will want to use, right? So there, there's, I, I would say these are the 1% and I, I don't think everybody should strive to try to do that. It's very, very risky. But if you manage what, what, to do that, it's, it yeah, would be a big outcome. One key thing for me on that, though, is that even those people who manage to succeed, it's really the business owner's first company, right? right? So when you see those companies that does something new and, and actually succeed with it, in most cases, that is not the owner's first business launch, right? Mm -hmm. So often the people who do succeed in those areas is people who have launched companies who have launched business before and comes into it with that experience and often also some money in the back pocket right because yeah. reality is when you're starting out and you're trying to make a living and you're trying to do a bunch of things at the same time and you know money money are relatively tight like i'm not saying it's not possible but i'm saying it it's definitely a lot lot harder right yeah it's harder it's harder and yeah, you know, th there is examples, right? Mark Zuckerberg, it was his first business. The, the Twitter guys, it was their first business. But we're, we're talking about, you know, it's like, and I, ideas like that, it's, it's not even one in a thousand. It's probably, you know, it's, it's kind of one in a decade or you know, a couple in a decade that actually uh, succeed that Airbnb, right? Like started with uh, renting out mattresses in people's houses. You know, VCs look, listened to it and thought, that's a joke, like who's gonna rent rooms in their houses, right? And eventually uh, it, it became a hu huge business. But yeah. again, these are very, very rare cases. Definitely, and, and, and again, it's, uh, I mean, from my point of view, it's the same thing, right? Like you, you can be lucky, but just again, like everyone can win the lottery, right? Potentially, yeah. um, but the likelihood of doing it is relatively small. Right. And, uh, at least when I'm gambling with my own money, I prefer to increase the odds of winning. Yeah, so for sure. Excellent. Interesting, interesting. So it's an, you have also been raising capital, raising money to, to help you grow and scale. So can you tell me a little bit about how you've gone around that and what your experience has been with that? Yeah, uh, we've raised uh, 100 million over the 11 years of the company. Uh, in multiple rounds. Uh, we just closed our uh, D round 
uh, in July uh, this year, which was a, a $50 million uh, raise from uh, uh, growth uh, equity uh, investors. And um, yeah, I think that's uh, another decision that uh, you know, entrepreneurs need to make. Uh, do I want to stay bootstrapped and you know, kind of grow the business at the, at the pace uh, of the revenues of the top line coming in? Or you know, do I think that there is enough here that could interest external investors? I, I probably cannot talk too much about Bootstrap because we've been uh, funded since almost since our early, early days. And I think that's com more common in the software sector and especially in uh, SaaS subscription type of businesses that can, that can have huge scale. Uh, and those type of businesses uh, are the businesses that investors are looking to invest in. Um, I can say that, uh, you know, initially I had, I didn't know a lot about it. And it, this was, this is my first uh, real business. So I've kind of learned uh, along the way. Um, now, I've, as I mentioned, I've done multiple rounds. So I have much more experience around it. Um, it is, it, it, it's kind of once you take money from investors, you have to understand this is another relationship. It's another marriage. So you have the marriage to your partner. Now you have a couple of uh, other relationships that uh, it's, you know, that now pe there's people that you need to report to about how the business is doing. Uh, we have quarterly board meetings and, you know, they, they, if you, it's very important to bring the right people on board because they can make your life really painful if, uh, if there's misalignment there. So that's a whole nother relationship that you need to manage. And in my case, there's now multiple investors. So it's many relationships that I need to manage. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, so far, I feel like I've made the right choices in terms of the investors that I brought on board. They're, they're great. They're very helpful. And, you know, it, it has really helped accelerate the, the growth of the company. So the com uh, my company is not profitable and we're able to invest today in you know, growing sales and growing a marketing team and investing in the R&D uh, with the goal that eventually when we, when we will want to, we will be able to bring it to profitability. Um, I think another, you know, couple of words on raising money. I think once you kind of go and, you know, drink from that well, uh, you end up going back there uh, again and again. It's there's certain expectation around growth that comes with investment capital, and and it's it's a certain alignment. Uh, you know, that, that is between you and your investors and the employees who come on board. Every, everybody who is part of this ship is, uh, is there because uh, part of the reason that they're there is because they expect uh, an interesting growth pace. So, you know, if, if suddenly you were to, it's harder to make a decision to say, to say suddenly I want to slow down and I want to be bootstrapped because then you're kind of breaking some of that alignment that you have with the investors and employees around. Hey, we're, we're here for, for growth with a big exit down the road. Yeah, that, that, that makes total sense. And I, I think one of the big points for me, so uh, definitely again, when you're, when you're taking money, right? A lot of the time people just look at the figures 
And as you said, the most important thing again is it's like a partner, but more importantly, you can get a ton of benefit from it as well. I think the biggest benefit from taking money is probably not even the money themselves, but it's the experience you can bring in. It's the network. It's the, it's the skills. I mean, because I, I see most of the people that I see taking money successfully and doing really well with it is not just taking the money, but they're really bringing people on board that can help them catapult the business forward, either to their connections or, or to their business skills and so on, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people, at least the first time around when they're looking for money, completely overlook. Absolutely, absolutely. The 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 value and the experience that uh, you're bringing with uh, these investors uh, is uh, is critical. Um, you know, some of them. Uh, hopefully, if you're bringing them on board, they they bring that experience that they've seen multiple businesses, and they've seen what drives uh, success and where kind of the failures are, and. Especially, you know, for me in the early days with where I, this was my first business, uh, you know, bringing in uh, an, uh, an investor that had that experience, they also acted as almost as my mentor. Um, I'm, I'm kind of referring here to uh, my, my, the person who led the seed and A and uh, participated in the B rounds and some of the subsequent rounds in Duda. His name is Oren Ziv, a pre- pretty prominent investor in the Silicon Valley. And uh, until today, we have an excellent uh, relationship and I uh, confide in him in many, many aspects of the business. So yeah, that experience that you're bringing on board uh, in many times is more important than the actual money. And uh, sometimes I've made decisions to take actually a lower valuation, uh, but uh, bring in someone that I felt I would have good chemistry with is more important and someone that can, uh, you know, can help uh, advance and uh, the business is more important than the actual amount. Yeah, totally, totally. Excellent. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's very interesting. So from a management standpoint, I mean, you've, you've grown your company. So you, you have around 200 staff now or so? Yeah, 200 people across uh, about seven offices right now. Excellent. So, so you've obviously been part of a lot of growth. What, what's been the biggest management challenge that you have faced going through that sort of development? Yeah, um, there's definitely a different, different challenges. Um, I think it's uh, part of it is uh, the, in our case, we have offices in, in Palo Alto and, uh, and an R&D team in Tel Aviv and an office in Brazil. And uh, now we acquired a company in Quebec and we have an office in, uh, actually two offices in the US, one in Colorado and one here in Palo Alto where I am uh, and a new office in London. So all these time zones and people in different places and making sure that you know, the communication flows and that people know what is happening and people are aligned with the vision and the strategy uh, and just getting things, uh, you know, execution across all these time zones is, is a challenge. I kind of uh, remember, uh, you know, early days when we were all in one room, you know, when we were maybe 10 or 20 people, you know, it wasn't a problem. Like ev- everybody knew everything. And then one, one day, one of the employees came and said to me, Itai, there's uh, no transparency. I said, 
what you know what what are you th- that's like the first time time i heard that word it reminded me it was a word that i heard in you know previous big corporations that i was in but i didn't feel it was a problem that we had in a startup but it made me realize that we've grown to a certain amount of people where you have to put an effort into communicating and making sure that everybody is aligned and you know today with 200 people we have you know i have a ceo newsletter that goes out uh, once a month with updates from the different departments so everybody knows what you know every department has to say here's a couple of bullet points on the achievements in the last month and then a couple of bullet points about uh, uh shout outs to people in the org that have been doing a great job and then another couple of bullet points uh, about the challenges that they're excited to overcome in the next month. We do quarterly uh, all hands at the end of every quarter, monthly town halls. So there's a lot of effort uh, around communicating and making sure everybody knows kind of at, you know what direction the the ship is sailing. Yep. And that's uh, again, like uh, you alluded to it earlier, but but basically at, at sort of different levels there's different type of challenges, right? So again, you don't have so much of those challenges when you're moving from zero to a million, but if you're yeah. starting to move above a million and starting to have a significant amount of employees, then obviously those challenges start coming out and, yeah. and, and they, can, they can be very big, right? Now, the benefit at that point is that you're often making a little bit of money so you can better afford to invest in it and so on. And do some of the right things, but but it definitely still takes a ton of effort. Right? Yeah, yeah. These things, you know, you don't wait till you have two hundred employees and not even a hundred employees. I think these, it's it these problems scale with with size. So you know, the first time that I heard that there's communication or that transparency problem was probably when we hit twenty people, yeah. and so you start to solve it there, and you kind of add on more and more uh, communication. Uh, processes and and um, as as the company company grows, you know different challenges are uh, around management and people, uh, and that's also at, at every different stage. As the company grows, you start you know at the beginning you're very flat, and everybody kind of you know either reports to me or to my partner. At a certain point, you have to build kind of middle management layer that will help you manage manage the team. And you know, making sure like how to build that right. Do you um, promote someone who's been doing a good job as an individual contributor to a manager, or do you bring someone external? These are these are big big decisions. Uh, and you know, many times we've uh, we've got it wrong. Like you know, taking someone who's been really good as an individual contributor, and then saying, okay, now you manage three or four other people, uh, not necessarily do they have the right skills to be a manager, they might not be good at it. And now you potentially lost someone who was really good at doing their job, you promoted him or her to do something that they are not as good at. at. So this, this is, this, this is what you're hitting on one of my key passion points in life here. So one of the things I love about being a management coach is very much exactly what you alluded to here, right? So the, the problem is many companies have lots of good training and lots of good development around the specialized skills. But the second you'd start talking about management, 
most companies have very, very little training and support for managers, right? And one of the key things for me, like to that point, I, I am a firm believer in most businesses promoting from within is by far the best route, right? Obviously, if you're growing at a certain speed, like there might be situations where you have to hire from without outside. But my experience is that the risk when you hire from the outside, the risk of failure is significantly higher because you don't know what you're getting. When you're promoting from within, you have a very good idea of what you're getting, right? So there won't always be a super success, but there rarely be a total failure, right? But, but for me, definitely the, the number one thing is really around developing people internally from, I mean, I would say from day one, but, but really consistently developing your, your, your staff to be ready for those management positions. Because when you, when you suddenly pull up a staff member and say, hey, you know, you're doing great at the development, you know, you're going to be development manager. Now, if they have never heard about managing people before, if they've never spent any time learning about that, I mean, everything else being equal, if they're great at development, they can learn to be great at management. But there's a difference between being able to learn to be great at management and being great at management, right? Yeah. And, and that gap, I think the biggest issue most people have is they're not doing the training, they're not doing the development of the staff ongoingly to make sure they're ready to take those steps up, right? And that's fundamentally, that's what I work with so many companies on because that, that is such a differentiator. Like if you start working with people, if they have a, you know, sometimes a year or two or whatever of, you know, working with their manager, upping their management skills. So, you know, the gap when they move into a management role is maybe half or whatever, like that, that just makes such a huge difference in success. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's hard, right? You're, starting a company you don't have that many resources uh definitely you cannot bring a full-time in-house person to to be a management consultant i don't know how much budget you have to bring externals uh but this is uh if you can i think that's an uh that's an that's absolutely the right investment to do in your in your management um it, it, i i think yeah. i think what i see that i find really funny is like like if someone gets promoted to be a sales manager, the business owner often buy them courses or, or trainings mm. on sales, yeah. Yeah. not on management. No, right? no. And, and that's what, like, that's what I see that constantly, right? Where, right. where and, and often it's because exactly as you say, like the thing is, if you start a business and have no experience in management, like it makes sense, right? You, you don't know what yeah. you're doing, so you don't know what, what you're heading towards, right? But, but fundamentally, like the key thing, if you ever promote anyone into a management position, like even if you have very little budget, like go out and buy them from right. books, like go out and do something, invest in them somehow. Because I'll tell you, if you hire someone, if you promote someone into a management position and you do nothing, one, they might learn over time, but it will take them so much longer. And the key thing is that the, like investing in your front level staff is great, but the returns you get from investing in your managers are just so much higher, yeah. right? Because they will yeah. influence the business so much more. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, also try to do it gradually. Um, we've used a lot of times kind of the, the lead role, uh, yeah. which is, it's kind of a step to being a manager. Yep. Uh, so maybe as a lead, you're kind of more the, 
technical mentor to um, maybe two or three people underneath you. And you start to kind of dabble with, uh, you know, being kind of this coach uh, to a group and you can see how the person is faring on that. Uh, and eventually make it more official as a, as a manager. So kind of start to give some responsibilities and see how the person is doing before uh, you, uh, you, you, get, you give them the full kind of uh, the full title and so forth. So it still gives you an option to, if they're, if they're having challenges, you know, anybody who's having a challenges at these first uh, steps, you know, as the responsibilities grow is just going to find themselves uh, kind of deeper in the hole. So if you see that they're having challenges, I think that's the place to kind of stop and, and, and help support them and see if they can actually bridge that gap as a, as a manager. And if not, then you know, you, you know you, that's, this is not the right decision, bring someone else in place. You can still have that person because I assume they have a lot of industry and product knowledge. So keep them as kind of this more technical lead and bring in a manager who actually is good with managing people. Because I think that's, Many times, as you said, you can take courses on a lot of like how to be good in sales and know the processes, but managing people is, is, hard, uh, is hard to teach. It's, uh, yeah, some people think so. I, I've, I've done it for many years, so I, yeah. I find it relatively easy, right? But, but it, it, so the biggest thing here, that the, the biggest problem a lot of the time is the fact that the difference between being an individual contributor and being even a lower level manager is much, much bigger than growing from a low level manager to a CEO because the mindset change when you're going from being an individual contributor, when it's all about you and what you do to any kind of leadership or management role where it's all about the team, right? right? The, the thing is, as soon as you manage other people, what you do really doesn't matter. Like you can do a perfect job, oh, yeah. but if the team doesn't hit the goal, like it doesn't matter, right? And that mindset change, that's often why people will fail initially in the leadership or management roles because they don't learn to right. see that difference. And the, the key thing is what happens to most of the people that fail is they start working like crazy and they're trying to do the job of three people. Yeah. Instead of actually managing those people, they're basically trying to do the job of them because they're trying to make the department successful and they keep right. using the same tools as they were using when they were an individual contributor. So the, the key thing that I see is that if you have people that are struggling, that's typically because they haven't gotten out of the mindset of being an individual contributor and into the management mindset, right? And that's, that, that's one of the first things that I spend a lot of time with people on. But my experience is as soon as they get that, actually moving up within an organization is so much easier because if you manage 20 people or 50 people, it's not actually that much difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with you. I was, uh, I, before, you know, before starting Duda growing up, uh, you know, in, in Israel, I also served in, in the army for three years. And as, as a team or squad lead there, you know, what you need to think about it, you know, think of uh, a unit, uh, with rifles shooting forward, doesn't matter if you're the squad lead and you're a great shooter, like you're, that's like one rifle shooting in the right direction. You need to make sure that 10 rifles are shooting in the right direction, right? That's, uh, exactly. that's what's important. Yeah.
and that's uh, and and that's exactly the point, right? And that this is, I mean, entrepreneurs have a tendency to do this as well. Like particularly technical founders and so on, they tend to stay way too technical and way too ingrained in the details, even as the company grows, right? And often that's a big. They're actually not helping the business; they're holding the business back by doing that. But it it comes as a natural in many many cases, right? Great. Excellent. Well, it's I. That's been a very, very interesting conversation. Very awesome to talk with you. Um, if people are eager to get hold of you, if they want to know more about Duda, like what's the best places to go and so on? Absolutely. Um, our website is at uh, Duda. That's d u d a dot co dot co. Uh, you can find more information there, and you can reach out to me on uh, different social networks uh, on on Twitter, uh, on LinkedIn, and uh, on Facebook. Awesome. Well, Itai, that was very, very fun to talk with you. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Mads. I enjoyed this conversation as well. Awesome. And to the audience, thank you very much for staying with us all the way to the end. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.